There's tens of thousands of saints in the church, but today we're going to be talking about some of the manliest saints in history. Stay with us. Today's handshake is giving up your seat to a woman. So a gentleman knows that the right thing to do in an overcrowded environment or situation, be it uh, in transport, public transport, or at a school event or at church, if people are standing in the back, is to stand up and give your seat to a woman and do the right thing. I was at an event recently where this did not happen at all. It was an overcrowded room, and there was the lector that asked for everybody to slide in, please, please, please slide in, uh, and people were jam-packed in, um, in the different uh, rows there in the seats. And I looked, when I'm standing in the back, at four other women who are standing with me. But when the lector told people to move over, it was the men that quickly jumped in to those extra spots there. And that really surprised me. Not a single person in a rather traditional group of individuals was willing to stand up and give their seat to a woman. So I encourage you, be the man that sets an example, and by your example, it beckons other men to do the right thing by giving your seat up to a woman in need in these situations. Well, as we mentioned, we're going to be talking about some of the manliest saints in history today on today's episode. But before, before we get there, let's talk about uh, subscribing. Be sure, if you're watching this on YouTube, to click the subscribe button and hit the little bell to get notifications when we release new episodes. And also subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast platform of choice. We're on all the major platforms, so check us out, find us, uh, and subscribe on your favorite podcast. Uh, podcast platform. Also, we um, really appreciate your support. Creating high quality content isn't free. Um, and we really would appreciate your donations on Patreon if you feel uh, so led as to donate. We have lots of different tiers with different reward options. So check us out on patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman uh, and see if there's a tier that might work for you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. So Sam and I love saints. We're both Catholic. And in one of our previous episodes, that question was asked to us of basically, do we read the lives of the saints and how important it is? And I would say yes, right? That the church has a history, of course, of, of the church triumphant, right? Those saints that are in heaven. And that's the path that we are trying to be on, right? Mm -hmm. Here in this life, right, we shoot for heaven. We don't shoot for purgatory, right? There's a saying, right? Those who shoot for heaven get purgatory. Those <laughs> who shoot for purgatory, I'm not going to go there. But we, <laughs> we, shoot, we shoot for heaven, but how do we get there, right? We, we have to look at the example of the saints. So I know me personally, I'm constantly overwhelmed with admiration and with a certain degree of awe and wonder when I read the lives of the saints and how they lived in their different ages, but also how to discern how I'm often failing at living, you know, a saintly life or a holy life today when God chose me to live. And so their, their example gives me 
inspiration and gives me a certain sense of um, you know excitement and confidence that mm-hmm. that I can live a holy example and yes. to be a holy witness of Christ here in yeah. this world. So. In some saints, it seems like we're just like born saints. They were just like holy from infancy yeah. or something. But other saints, like it was a struggle for them. And it took them years of of overcoming themselves before they reached that high state of sanctity. So wherever you are in your journey, whatever your natural inclinations, it gives us hope that we can, we can all achieve sanctity. Yeah, sanctity. agreed. So now Sam and I... <laughs> had a fun time trying to figure out which saints to talk about, right? We wanted the manliest saints in history, but to be honest, every every Catholic saint is is the manliest saint, you know? And they they God calls different men for different reasons, and so we hope to just kind of uh, today bring out um, a, a wide variety of saints and talk a little bit about their masculinity, their lives. It's not going to be an extensive biography of any of these saints. We really want to connect it to the person that this saint was and how we can find inspiration uh, from those men. Yeah. So. If you want to know more, look them up. But some of these are a little more well-known saints. Yeah. Well, some of them are maybe ones you've never heard of before. So. That's right. So diving right in. The, the first saint uh, that we decided to choose was Saint Athanasius. So St. Athanasius has been one of my favorite saints uh, for many years, to the point where I wanted to name one of our children Athanasius, but my wife wouldn't let me. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, oh, we could call him Nash for short. That'd be awesome. And she's like, maybe a dog. And so uh, nevertheless, not to lessen the, the uh, grandeur and amazingness of, of this saint. So St. Athanasius lived in you know around the 300s. So he was an early church father. Today, we revere him as a doctor of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not many doctors of the church. If you don't know about that, definitely look it up. So he's been honored as the doctor of the church. One of the things that St. Athanasius did um, is fight the Arianism, the heresy of, of Arian, or the Arianism heresy. And so that heresy divide, uh, denied the divinity of Christ. And so it lessened him to kind of like somewhere between man and God. And we saw this as such a, uh, well, the church saw this as such an issue, right? So they had the council and uh, the council of Nicene. And we had St. Athanasius, who was one of the primary defenders of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And he fought and he ended up winning. But what's interesting is that it was so rooted in the people of this time that you don't just have a council, as we've experienced in our own lives with the Second Vatican Council or even the First Vatican Council. You don't just have a council and then within a year, everything changes and everything, you know, the the church is constantly living and adopting. But that being said, there were still so many people that uh, were Arians and denied the divinity of Christ that St. Athanasius had to um, go into exile, I think, five times in his life. So think about that, right? Like, this amazing saint was basically cast out of his city by other bishops or he would have been killed. And so he had to go into exile so many times, but he constantly came back and wanted to keep on fighting for Christ and keep on fighting for the truth of the faith. So he would leave for, uh, I think he spent a total of like uh, 16, 17 years in exile in his life. 
Another thing that I, I really liked about St. Athanasius is that he spent, I think, five of his years um, or an extended period of time living with the desert fathers. Yes. So it's it's kind of like these early church fathers, I know that we see this, where like all of a sudden uh, they, they go into exile and they're like, well, I see this as an opportunity to go live in a cave yeah. for many years yeah. and, and devote myself to prayer. And so St. Anthony of the Desert or St. Anthony the Great was uh, somebody that St. Athanasius uh, got to connect with at the at St. Anthony's ripe old age of I believe 105. Oh my so, goodness! Yeah, so this <laughs> desert father, St. Anthony the Great, uh, was 105, and St. Athanasius got to experience his life and got to live that life of devout prayer and separation, but prayer for mankind and prayer for uh, these heresies and things like that. And St. Uh, he actually ended up writing the first biography. We have the the first biography of of Saint Anthony of the Desert, and by Saint Athanasius. So I think the example that he sets for us is that stick with itness, that resiliency, that to be ca- yeah. chased out, uh, you know, five times, seventeen years of his life when all he wanted to do. He also has an incredible ability in his writing. So um, you know, to connect kind of a physical living with a spiritual living with an intellectual growth uh, that I admired uh, and I do admire very greatly. So definitely check out St. Athanasius. Uh, pray to him if you're struggling with continually championing the faith or living a solid example to others. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's a great saint. So Yeah, there's a, a saying, Athanasius contra mundum, you know, oh, Athanasius yeah. against the world because he yeah. was fighting such an epic battle for orthodoxy yeah. um, in, in those times when, you know, we, you know, in 2020, we, 22, we have the benefit of all these years of church history. And we just assume that things like the divinity of Christ were, were just accepted since the beginning. But yeah. there were many challenges and many heresies that came up. Um, and these great champions of the faith really laid the foundation for the faith that we have today. And it, we owe them a debt of gratitude for those kind of epic struggles yeah. for the faith. Well, so, yeah. and that's such a good point. And, and to show that, that tension, so the Nicene Creed was approved at this council. St. Athanasius supported it. The bishops that didn't support it on one of his exiles ran him out of town because <laughs> the church in its its fullness had approved the Nicene Creed, but these bishops, these rogue bishops that were against it, chased him out of town yes. for just upholding orthodoxy. I mean, and under pain of death, like it wasn't, can you, can we fathom that today? Like no. a bishop being chased out of their city and, and if they don't, they could be killed. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, uh, quite amazing and quite uh, remarkable, you yes. know, life yes. there. So. So we want to talk about another one of the saints of the early church, and that is St. Peter. Mm. He's probably the, the earliest <laughs> of the early church yeah. fathers, uh, considering he's the rock uh, on which the church is founded. But I love St. Peter. He, he Whenever people bring up St. Peter, they just love to focus on his flaws and his foibles and his yeah. kind of his, his weaknesses. And it's true. He was a very human character in the sense that um, we see a lot of episodes in the Gospels where he says something stupid or yeah. he does something dumb, you know? Um, and yet it was all part of his formation as um, the the rock on which Christ was going to found the church. Uh, but there was a lot of virtue in St. Peter too. He was very bold. 
Um, he was very zealous uh, for our Lord. And, and he took on a leadership role very quickly among the 12 apostles. Um, and we see, too, later on in his, in his epistles, he's a much older man. He's suffered a lot. You can hear like there's a deep wisdom yeah. in his voice and in his tone that um, maybe that brash young man that first encountered Christ has learned. Mm -hmm. And he's grown in humility and he's grown in wisdom. So read those, read the epistles of Peter. They're really beautiful. A lot of deep wisdom there. Yeah. Um, and uh, St. Peter, though, what I, what I love about him, I guess a manly virtue of him is that willingness to act, even if it got him into trouble. You know, like he yeah. just, he wasn't one of these guys that was going to sit passively on the sidelines. He mm -hmm. was going to spring into action one way or another. Yeah. And even, even taking steps of faith, like, you know, all, they're in the boat, they're in a violent storm. Jesus comes walking to them on the water and all the other apostles are like scared out of their wits. Like, is Jesus a ghost or mm -hmm. like, what is going on here? We're in the middle of a storm and Jesus is walking on the water. Yeah. But Peter's like... Uh, you guys can sit there fussing about this. I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm just going to start walking towards mm -hmm. Jesus. Like, Lord, tell me to come out, and I'm going to go. Yeah. And I think it was that that zeal and that brashness of faith that Jesus really loved about St. Peter, that he, like, like I said, even if it got him into trouble sometimes, he was going to act. He was going to step out in faith. He was going to do the bold thing yeah. rather than sitting there, you know, debating or weighing all the options. He was just going to leap into action. And uh, that, you know, you think about a fledgling church that's completely dependent on, like, missionary activity and to spread the gospel. That is what St. Peter's role was. And, yeah. you know, we know he traveled to many different parts of the Middle East spreading the gospel, but eventually ended up in Rome as the, as the first bishop of Rome. So... You know, he was he was a man of action, but he was also a man of, of deep wisdom and faith. Um, and I think we see that faith most clearly in him. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you need to round out a little bit in, in the love department or a little bit in the hope department. Yeah. Um, but he didn't lack in faith, that's for sure. That's and um, he was he ran to the tomb when, and, you know, Jesus uh was on the day of the resurrection like he was sprinting you know yeah, yeah. um and and i just love that about saint peter i do too yeah and i think saint peter obviously we could have a whole episode on saint peter and the, the greatness of him and and obviously our first pope and and the uh the power of forgiveness and the power of of just accepting your name and your identity through christ yeah. Uh, one of the things happened recently, I was talking to an Anabaptist, you know, an individual that believes that God is speaking to him. Uh, and God speaks to all of us, don't get me wrong, but this guy actually told me that he could close his eyes and within a few minutes, God would um, tell him what he needed him to do. And he went as far to say that if I asked God, what is the depth of the earth or what is the distance from here to the moon, even though I don't know it right now, if I talk to God, he would tell me the exact number. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like, I'm not quite sure what to do. But one of the things that he said that actually got me all worked up was he was like, I mean, think about, he brought up St. Peter and he was like, think about Peter. And he's like, Paul just 
ordered him to do all these things for Christ and St. Peter just obeyed. And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. that's not, not, not accurate. And, and I was really, you know, worked up because of um, how incredible Peter was. And, and, you know, like you said, how in love with Christ he was and how obedient he was to accepting his identity as, as a son of God, an adopted son of God, you know, you know through Christ. So, yeah, yeah. glad we talked about him. Yeah. So another saint that we wanted to discuss is St. Isaac Jogues. So if you don't know who St. Isaac Jogues is, I encourage you to look it up, although um, do so, you know, not with your kids or something like that, because his life story is grueling and is really intense. And so St. Isaac Jogues is considered one of the primary, if not principal, North American martyrs. Yeah. So he came from Europe uh, to Canada to evangelize the uh, Huron Indians. So he came and he had a real zeal and a real heart for uh, evangelization and mission work and praise God for that. So he came here and he suffered everything from starvation to illness to um, physical abuse and beatings uh, from the uh, Huron Indians and, but he did so with a certain peace that belongs only for those of us who are united to Christ. So, you know, one of the things is St. Isaac Jogues was imprisoned for 13 months by the Indians that saw him as a sorcerer or saw him as some sort of, you know, threat, of course, to, to their way of life. And, um, will go as far as within those 13 months, he ended up having um, fingers cut off, fingers chewed off, fingers um, just completely dismashed, destroyed and stuff like that as a way of torture. Finally, he escaped and he was sent back um, to, to Europe. And what did St. Isaac Jogues do within a year of after being at Europe is he begged his bishop to send him back to Canada. Why? Because he knew the truth and he so desperately wanted men to experience this truth and to have the love of Christ within them and to understand that they are saved through our Savior. And so he actually came back. And I, I mean, I just, I wrestle with that. And you know, I look at myself and it's like, what type of guy am I, right? Like right. if all these horrible things happened to me, uh, I was on the brink of death, you know, I was I was tortured gruesomely and then I find I escaped, you know, I would come back to that. I would yeah. put myself back in. So unfortunately, uh, well, or I guess fortunately, right? He has his eternal ward, so that's the wrong word, you know, unfortunately, yeah. So he came back and he was again seen as a sorcerer and he was, um, Eventually, uh, when the Huron Indians were going through a certain uh, droughts and famine of their own, they wanted they were looking for a scapegoat. They were looking for an Azazel, right? They were looking for somebody to, to blame, and they decided to blame him. And so they needed to kill him and all of his companions to try and uh, atone to their pagan gods in their yeah. way. And so he did convert people, though. People were converted to Christ because of his, his will and his fortitude. And so I think that that's something that I acknowledge with St. Isaac Jogues is, is courage. And we as men today face so many heresies and so many selfish opinions 
And if we're struggling, because often I know it's within my own mind, it's, you know, this, this feeling of just giving up. It's like, you know yeah. what, I'm done. I can't have this fight with another professor or fight with another, you know, individual atheist or agnostic or, you know, something like that. And, and, you know, what good is it? And St. Isaac Jogues proves that it's, it's not about, you know, that direct and immediate <clears throat> result, right? I don't have to see that conversion, but I have to follow God's will and I have to do his will and I have to do it out of love and unity with Christ and do it with courage. And so, you know, if you're struggling with courage, if you're struggling with that fortitude and perseverance necessary to live the gentlemanly Catholic life, I encourage you to turn to St. Isaac Jogues. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the love that he had that would drive him back to those horrible circumstances where he knew he was probably going to meet his end, you know. He he obviously had a deep love for um, the the Native American people in that yeah. he was evangelizing, even though they had no love for him. Um, and and it's that kind of uh, witness of of suffering. And and some of these um, these North American martyrs are just they're all of them were unbelievably heroic, unbelievably heroic, and yeah. suffered things that we can't even imagine. Um, so, um, yeah, look him up, and, and he should be better known, I think, in especially in North America. Uh, so Agreed. Uh, look him up if you haven't before. And we want to talk about another um, martyr for the faith in a completely different context, um, and that's in South America. But this one, uh, this saint is... is is kind of close to my heart for being from Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, he's also from Oklahoma, um, and that's Blessed Stanley Rother, who was just recently beatified. He was born in uh, Oak Ridge, Oklahoma, mm. uh, which is, is near yeah. Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. Um, and he was ordained a priest in 1963. Mm. Um, but at that time, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but at that time, the Diocese of Oklahoma was one diocese. There wasn't Diocese of Tulsa or Oklahoma City, there was one diocese, the Diocese of Oklahoma. They had a mission to uh, South America mm. uh, where they would send priests to South America. And he, after he was ordained, he requested to be sent on this mission to South America. So he went to Guatemala mm. um, and was living among uh, extremely poverty-stricken uh, Guatemalan natives there. I mean, big families living in a one-room mud hut, you know, subsistence farming, just, you know, day-to-day, -day, just raise enough food to make it through the day. Um, extreme poverty, um, extreme illnesses constantly, um, just completely destitute people there. Um, and he really helped educate them. He helped attend to um, their daily needs. He doctored them when they were ill. Um, he helped build, you know, irrigation ditches to help increase their farming productivity, things like that. Um, obviously evangelized them and um, taught them the faith, catechized them, you know, celebrated mass for them in their native language. He learned their native language and translated the New Testament into their native mm. language for them. Mm. Um, so just a really like heroic and, and missionary sense. Um, very similar to Isaac Juggs, though, in the sense that a little different circumstances, but there was a lot of political unrest in Guatemala at the time. Mm. Um, there was, you know, the political government that was in power, but there was also like these guerrilla warfare that would, they were fighting the government and the Catholic church was kind of caught in the middle, um, trying to maintain peace, but also continue to minister to the natives there. 
And similar to Isaac Jogues, uh, Blessed Stanley Rother was sent home yeah. to Oklahoma for safekeeping. Um, but when he was there, he really, his heart was just with those people back in Guatemala. And he said, a shepherd can't run from his flock. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I'm going back. I'm going back to Guatemala. So he did, even though he knew that many, many Catholics had been killed by these, uh, by this political conflict that was happening at the time. Well, as soon as he went back, his name was put on, uh, the hit list and, before long, they broke into his home and threatened him and ended up killing him um, as, as part of um, their attacks on the, on the church in Guatemala. Uh, and so he has been declared a martyr for the faith, and um, he was beatified in, in 2017, and there was you know, 20,000 people at his beatification ceremony. Um, and they're building a huge shrine to him in Oklahoma City. It's really cool. A uh, really yeah. beautiful shrine there. So it's 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 kind of uh, and again just kind of special for me as someone who lives in Oklahoma, but also another martyr for the faith who, yeah. um, you know, kind of similar to Isaac Jobs, wouldn't give up. He wouldn't give up on the people that he was ministering to. His heart was with them. He wasn't going to abandon them, and he really shows that virtue of fidelity, faithfulness, even when the going gets tough, even when. You know your life is on the line. He was going to be faithful to that flock, and he was um, even even to death. Oh, and I appreciate you sharing that because I'll be honest, I had heard of him, but I had never researched him. And isn't this, and I purposely didn't when we decided that because I wanted to hear this because isn't that the how incredible the Catholic Church is, yeah. is that... There's a modern day, you know, blessed, and he is uh, basically of our time and yeah. and still living that missionary zeal still still willing to die yeah. for uh for the truth 400 and, years after isaac Job. So, yeah you know we, we started with the early church we got some martyrs in the early church and now we're all the way up to you know the 1980s there's still people willing to give their lives yeah. for christ and for the catholic faith yeah and i'm so grateful for you sharing the the building of that shrine to him because that is such uh, a beautiful tradition within the church. Yes. And I mean, how we've got the, the great ones, um, you know, throughout the world, but uh, I got to build a shrine to St. Joseph. You know, I got our lady wants a shrine built here, you know, Guadalupe or, you know, uh, St. Joseph in Montreal and, and these beautiful ones. But there's also all these other saints that, you know, kind of deserve that. Yes. And in the fact that the church in this beautiful shrine that you, you shared with me in show prep, um, was uh, was really comforting to my heart that yeah. you know that we're still yeah. doing that. So awesome. So another saint happens to be a martyr um, that I want to bring up. Sixth and seventh century saint. I I know it wasn't. There's not humor during his time in his life, but I find a bit of humor in the life of Saint Boniface. And so St. Boniface, we had to bring him in as one of the manliest saints, right? Because there's that famous story of the, the Donner's Oak or Thor's Oak, right? So St. Boniface wanted to, wanted to um, I believe, yeah, leave Europe, um, I'm sorry, England, and go and evangelize the, the Germanic tribes or the people of Germany. He's considered the apostle of Germany now. But he wanted to go and evangelize that, um, that group of pagans in Germany, many of them believing in the Norse gods 
gods and, and of their Scandinavian roots and things like that. And there's this famous story that all of these Scandinavian um, or Norse, you know, pagans are around this giant oak tree, and they're praying to it because it is the embodiment of Thor, right, the, the god. And um, it's also called Jupiter's oak or Donner's oak, you know, this oak tree. And Saint Boniface saw it, and he was just like, "No, this can't happen." And so. He runs, takes an ax, and he starts chopping down this Norse god in front of them. And this, the, as a legend has it, is that this huge wind blew and knocked the tree over, like finished uh, quickly, finished right? Finished the job. Finished the job, because it, if anybody's ever taken an ax to a tree, especially a big oak tree, it takes hours. Like, it's not something you're going to, to cut yeah. down within five yeah. minutes to really make a point. And so um, this, this wind blows it over, and all of these um, pagan, uncatechized individuals expected Thor to send down a lightning bolt to kill Boniface. And when then that didn't happen, they started respecting him and they yes. started really open to that discernment. But what is so interesting about St. Boniface is he didn't want to do anything with his life but evangelize these people. But he ended up having to go one after the other and solve church issues. So he was going to Germany and there were non-bishops that were proclaiming themselves bishops that were ordaining priests and these priests weren't properly um, ordained and they actually didn't have appropriate catechesis. So they were, um, you know, in many cases unknowingly uh, seeding heresy and and things like that. And St. Boniface, you could just picture him rolling his eyes after like the 30th time, uh, you know, that Rome sent him to uh, this these parishes that are clearly teaching something anathema to the faith. And so he would have to go, but all he wanted to do was evangelize these people. And so uh, these particular people, and so St. Boniface was going and he was stamping out heresies and he was, you know, and he was, he was fixing bishops and he was, uh, you know, excommunicating people and he was just going through this, but his heart's desire was always longing for uh, the ability to be a mission, um, a missionary to these people in Germany. And so it finally happens, right? So during, um, and he gets chased out a few times and things like that. The exile is still happening in the 6th and 7th century. And he goes to Rome. Finally, he is given permission to go back to Germany, to this kind of Netherlands, Germany region, and evangelize to those people. So I can just see St. Boniface just being so excited to finally get to do what his heart's desire is. He goes there. He spends just under two years. He converts and catechizes 52 people, and then they're all martyred. So, yeah. so he gets his eternal award for sure. But you, this, this wrestling with what he wants to do, still for the glory of God, but what God needed him to do yes. is so um, uh, alive in the life of St. Boniface. And, and, and I love that because those of us men who are constantly trying to do the will of God and are constantly wrestling with this on a daily basis of, God, what are you calling me to do? What do you need me to do? Versus having a heart to do this or having a preference to do this, yeah. we still have to be obedient yes. to, to God's will and to yeah. the church. And St. Boniface really gives us. So if you're wrestling with this on a daily basis, I know I do, and you're struggling with what you're currently doing versus what you wanna be doing and stuff like that, and you're turning it over to God's will, 
turn that over to St. Boniface, ask him for his intercessory prayers, uh, look to him for that guidance and example, and I'm glad that we could yeah, bring him up. So That's great. And I think, too, we forget just how dangerous, you know, the Europe was early on. You know, again, we think of, of um, the early days of Europe as just, it went from the Roman Empire straight to, you know, great cathedrals yeah. and uh, Christendom. You know, well, no, it was for, for centuries, it was, you know, roving um, bands of barbarians or and or pagan tribes um, that were, you know, very vicious to outsiders. Um, it was a dangerous place. And yes, Christianity eventually tamed and civilized Europe. But it was it was initially uh, after the fall of the Roman Empire, kind of a kind of a crazy place, uh, yeah. and so it was to go into a, a pagan tribe's territory and chop down their tree. It was a pretty bold move. Yeah. Um, the, so he could have he could have easily died right then and there, but he I didn't. Um, so you know, God preserved him and protected him, and um, and he eventually converted many many of them. So that's Amen. a beautiful story. Yeah, it is. So another thing we want to talk about uh, is not a martyr, but he is a heroic young man nonetheless, and that is mm. Blessed Pier Giorgio Fassati. Um, he was born in uh, 1901 to a kind of a wealthy family. His yeah. father was a newspaper owner, very influential among the kind of the elite of uh, Italy, Turin, Italy, where he lived. Um, but from very early age, um, uh, Blessed Fassati was was uh, extremely generous and his heart was just went out to the poor. Mm. Um, you know, for the stories told of, um, you know, one time a, a beggar lady and her son knocked on the door of the family home begging for something and her son had no shoes. So Blessed Vasadi took off his shoes and gave them to the boy. Oh, or another example was a, a, a drunk uh, man showed up and knocked on their door asking for food. Yeah. Um, and his father turned him away and, and, um, uh, Pierre was so upset that he was just like burst into tears and finally his mom was to comfort him said okay go find him and invite him to dinner and and we'll take care of him mm. so he went out into the streets and found this drunk man and brought him home and and they fed him a good meal but so from very early age he had a heart for the poor and as he got older that only increased and his father again being a wealthy man uh, when when uh, Pierre was getting older um, offered him either a car uh, which was well, a huge luxury yeah, at the yeah. time, or uh, a well, a big sum of money, like his own personal fund that he could, mm. and he, he chose the fund not not to spend it on himself, but to give to the poor, yeah. um, and so he would go around finding people in need, and he you know people invalids buy them medical medical equipment, other ways of taking care of the poor. Um, his heart was really in that. Um, he's also a very talented young man, though. Um, he, you know, could recite all kinds of poetry, mm. knew several languages, could climb mountains. He was a huge mountaineer, you know. Yeah. The, there's there's quite a few mountains in Italy, and he would scale them often, you know, just for fun. Yeah, there's an amazing picture of him with his pipe, you know, standing yeah. on the top of a mountain. It's like a like made to be a logo for the Catholic gentleman or <laughs> That's something. Right. But, but uh, no, just a, just a very charismatic young man, very uh, um, uh, popular socially, but also just that huge heart for the poor. And then, but he eventually got got sick and and died at a young age. Young age, yeah. And his parents thought, you know, well, we're going to have the elites of the city show up for his funeral because that's our social crowd, right? Yeah. But instead, tens of thousands of poor people that he had served 
showed up for his funeral. Yeah. And they had no idea that he was extremely wealthy and from an elite family because he was so humble and so accessible to them um, when he was working with them. They didn't know he was very, really wealthy. And and um, uh, and, and the, likewise, the elites of the city didn't know that he was serving the poor all the time. They yeah. had no clue that he had created this this following among the poor of the city. Um, so just a very charismatic young man, but extremely generous and kind of shows that manly virtue of, of magnanimity or generosity, yeah. like large heartedness where, you know, I may be born into privilege, but I'm going to spend it on others. I'm going to um, take all of my, my wealth and I'm going to spread it around and, and raise others up. Um, and he is um, a, a wonderful example, kind of like, in some ways, uh, like a little a bit of a modern St. Francis, and yeah. St. Francis was from a wealthy family too. And uh, he didn't renounce everything like St. Francis, but he still um, was extremely generous and yeah. loved the poor. So Yeah, thank you, Sam. And I, I, one of the things that always connects, um, sorry, one of the things that I think can, men can connect with is the fact that um, Blessed Frasati's father actually kind of considered him a failure. Yeah. And because he wasn't willing to do what his father wanted him yes. to do. And that riff, the love of a father, um, I'm very blessed with, with an, an, an incredible dad. But, but to have a father who is basically just kind of disappointed in you all the time because you don't want to make all the money and everything like that, right. but to not let it stamp out your joy and yes. your humor. I remember reading stories about how funny he is and how he always likes to tell jokes. Yes. And, and then also one of the other things uh, of him is he brought up his mountain climbing. I remember his connectivity to God's creation really comes out, right? And I love your connection with St. Francis because that's not where my mind was thinking, but you're exactly right. Because I remember reading one of his friends after his death, um, his friends wrote, never before and never after did we experience the mountains and God's creation with such connection as we did when we were with Blessed Frasati. Yeah. And that he just had this way of just beaming with with the love of God and the understanding of God and His grandeur within within creation. Yeah. And so those are just such such beautiful things and give him such um, you know a uh, heart and something that we can connect to. Yeah, so. exactly. Great. Uh, so another saint, uh, you know, oddly speaking of humor, is um, is Saint Thomas More. Right. So we needed a father. Yes. among these list of saints. And providentially, we found a father that has five, had five kids. Um, one of them adopted, and you know, Sam and I both have five children right now. And um, is that uh, St. Thomas More, if you don't know, and I think he, most people do, is that <clears throat> he was an author, he was a philosopher, he was an intellectual, he was a politician, he was Lord High Chancellor under Henry VIII, right? So Henry VIII started the Anglican faith, and um, St. Thomas More was uh, removed as Lord High Chancellor when he couldn't agree to, um, it was Catherine Varagorn, right, um, the divorce that St. Henry VIII wanted to, mm -hmm. to have and ended up having with his, um, with his wife. And so since he couldn't agree to that, St. Henry VIII removed him, ended up being imprisoned, and he was martyred, mm -hmm. but um, he was executed. So St. Thomas More is 
is a Catholic gentleman meme, like his, his stories, you know? <laughs> so he was a prolific writer. He wrote poetry in, uh, in English and Latin. He wrote his book, Utopia, uh, in Latin. Um, I mean, just the, the, the grandeur of this man's intellect. But he was always um, filled with a certain sense of banter and humor. And a lot of people say, Erasmus said that he had never met somebody more joyful in his whole life. So his friend Erasmus, yeah. you know, and, and just said that St. That Thomas More just exuded this joy. But that didn't mean that his life wasn't one of suffering. Obviously, we talked about his martyrdom. We talked about the death of his um, wife who had uh, four kids with him. They were, they were married for six seven years and then she passed away and it was you know true love of his life um and then he got married shortly thereafter um but he always treated his his um his next wife with just utmost of respect and dignity and love and and he was just so connected with that but um I do. I really like St. Thomas More for many reasons. Um, but, and again, I brought him back to the memes, right, is that his, his one-liners, right? St. Thomas More's um, stories and his quotes that, that we have. And, and there's a lot of memes. Like, I, um, I don't care much of what um, man thinks of me provided God approves of me, right? right? And these sort of amazing quotes that we have uh, from St. Thomas More. But he teaches us men you know, obedience to the church. He yeah. teaches us men um, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit of joy, you know, um, that, that, that can be provided us when we unite our, our hearts and minds uh, to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So. Speaking of his humor and his, yeah. his, his jokes, all the way up until the last moment he was joking. Yeah. There's a story told of, you know, after being locked in the Tower of London for so long, and you know, he had grown a substantial beard um and when they when they went to behead him uh as as execution they they put his head on the the chopping block you know kind of kind of gruesome but he said one moment he said watch the beard and he Uh moved the beard off the chopping block (laughs) so that it wouldn't be cut and uh then of course they did the deed but he he was joking up until the last wow Uh, so that's that's just kind of a funny story (laughs) illustrating his joy just even in what would otherwise be very depressing circumstances he kept his sense of humor so yeah so incredible saint thomas more pray for us so yeah so now we're going to go zoom back in history. We're going from the, the 16th century back to um, uh, the the 4th century. But we're going to talk about St. Patrick, mm. who was another one of those saints who kind of confronted um, paganism uh, in Ireland instead of Germany. Mm. Um, but St. Patrick was um, arrested by Irish pirates when he was 16 years old and taken to Ireland. He lived in England, was taken to Ireland to be a slave. Mm. Um, now, I, I don't know what an Irish pirate looks like, you know, but they were probably pretty scary yeah. based on what I know of Irishmen. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, they enslaved him yeah. for, for six years in Ireland. Um, and eventually he escaped at age 22 and went back to England. Uh, big sigh of relief, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and he became a priest. Um, but when he became a priest, he decided to go back to Ireland because he had a vision of the Irish people calling out to him, saying, Patrick, come and preach to us, preach the gospel to us. And so he went to Rome and asked permission to be sent as a missionary 
to Ireland. So we've seen this several times now with, with Stanley Rother and then yeah. um, Isaac Jogues where people have been persecuted and yet the love of Christ compels them to go back and minister to the very people that caused them suffering. Um, and that's, that's exactly what we see with St. Patrick. So he went back to Ireland and started evangelizing the pagan tribes there. And again, you have to remember, Ireland wasn't a unified nation the way that we think of it now, even though there's still some, some tensions there in Ireland. But, yeah. but um, it still wasn't a nation in the way that we think of it today. It was a bunch of pagan tribes. Yeah. And their pagan tribes had, you know, they had a lord or, you know, a king um, uh, of that tribe. But they were often warring with each other, and it was so. Pa Patrick would show up, and the religious leaders of of these tribes were called druids. Yeah. Uh, we've the all druids. heard stories yeah. about druids <laughs> yeah. and you know Stonehenge and all of this. Right. Um, they were very powerful, though, and you know from everything we can tell, they were sorcerers who could you know do magical feats and things mm. that would win over the king to listen to them. Yeah. Um, so it kind of reminds me of Pharaoh with his magicians back in the day where they would advise the king and, and um, you know, Moses had a confrontation with them way back in the Old Testament. Well, same sort of thing where they were advisors to the king and they would do the sacrifices that would lead to a good harvest and all of these yeah. things that were very powerful and influential. Um, so when Patrick showed up to confront them, it was kind of a, a dangerous game. You know, mm -hmm. he could have been killed at any point. But there's many, many legends and stories of, of the miraculous deeds that St. Patrick did yeah. to kind of confound the Druids. And and the kings were like, well, you know, we need to listen to this guy. I mean, he's making our own magicians look foolish. And, um, you know, I, there, there, there's uh, many examples of this um, in, in, in Irish history. But, you know, one of them being, you know, St. Patrick driving all the snakes, snakes out, out of Ireland and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So just, uh, but I meant courageously and with complete faith and confidence and boldness, holy boldness, confronted these religious leaders uh, in Ireland and really confounded them and won over the pagan tribes patiently and then catechized them, you know. And then there's the famous legends of him, you know, using the, the three-leaf clover to illustrate the okay, trinity yeah. and things like that. But um, he's really considered the, the, the apostle of Ireland yeah. and the one who really is responsible for the conversion of, of the Irish nation, which for centuries, you know, Ireland was one of the most Catholic nations in the world. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's not quite the case anymore, but there's still many, many faithful Irish Catholics. Um, and we've heard from some who are listeners of this show. So, yeah. Um, God is still doing something in Ireland, and um, and so we. Saint Patrick, though, uh, is the patron saint of Ireland, and and uh, very bold and courageous. Saint, yeah, so. he is a man's man. I, I Saint Patrick. One of the things that um, that I love about Saint Patrick is that towering figure that we have yes. of him, and and every stained glass or every statue or every I know in Fort Worth, uh, Saint Patrick's Cathedral. Um, there's this big statue of, of St. Patrick, and, and, he, and they do, we do such a great job of basically you want to listen to him, yes. right? His stature and everything of how he held himself and how, he, um, how we depict him is just 
And so um, beaming with, with a, a certain degree of, of conviction with Christ and authority that, yeah. um, that he has because of that connection. So yeah, yeah I love him. Great. So another saint that, um, that I, I love seeing again in stained glass and in pictures is St. Martin of Tours, yeah, right? Yeah, boys love him too, yeah. Yeah, and he's got that soldier, and he's, you know, he's, he's got that uh, depiction of him, and he uh, was really an incredible man. So he wasn't um, Catholic when he was born, right? He was born um, pagan in some sort of, um, you know, uh, religion in the, was it the third or fourth century, you know, again, b- back there. And... Uh, St. Martin of Tours um, was converted to uh, Catholicism while he was a soldier. And what's so interesting is that he continued to be a soldier, and but he radically transformed his life to the soldiers, uh, well, transformed his life and led an example to the soldiers that were uh, still around him. And yeah. he did. He refused to do impure entertainment. He refused to use vulgar or crass language. He completely radically changed himself for the sake of being an example and a witness of what it means to be a man devoted to Christ um, in uh, his time and in his age. And so then there's another famous story of St. Martin of Tours that, that we have to connect with, and that is his um, fraternal charity or his love for his brothers, right? So real quick, St. Martin of Tours, when he left the military, he became a deacon, then a priest, then a bishop. And so, so he, he moved up the ranks. But there's a famous story that he was going in the dead of the night when it was freezing cold, and there was a beggar on the ground um, freezing and, and shaking because of how cold it was. And St. Martin of Tours took off his uh, his cloak as a soldier and he cut it in half and he wrapped half of it around um, the beggar. Yes. And he had a vision later that night of Christ holding his cloak and saying, you know, how much St. Martin of Tours loves me yes. and how much that meant to him. And so St. Martin of Tours, without going much into it, teaches us this amazing example of fraternal love and fraternal charity that we owe to our neighbors, yeah. right? That we have to live a lifestyle that is a witness of neighbors, not justifying maybe crass or, or language because that's what they do. But no, you can be loving and be a stalwart example of what it means to be a man on fire for Christ or devoted to Christ, you know, obviously through Our Lady. And and St. Martin of Tours gives that example, um, as we've heard of, you know, with Blessed Giorgio Frasati and many of the other saints, of, of giving of your possessions for others, not thinking of yourself, but thinking of them. So Yes, absolutely. So we're going to go uh, from from Tours, uh, France, to uh, Japan now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about a saint that really isn't as well known, um, but maybe should be, and that's St. Paul Miki. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Paul Miki was born in 1562 um, to a Japanese family, a very wealthy family. Um, but the Jesuit missionaries uh, showed up and they evangelized the people there in Japan. And Japan has always been a country that's been very difficult yeah. for Christianity to make any inroads. I mean, they have such <laughs> a a devout culture of their own religion, uh, Shintoism and mm-hmm. and uh, Buddhism there um, that is so deeply ingrained in the culture that Christianity through the centuries has had a very difficult time mm-hmm. converting um, you know Japanese people. But his, uh, Paul was converted um, and, and he ended up becoming a Jesuit priest himself. And he was such a persuasive preacher 
um, you know, the, the, the authorities, the, the political authorities said, we got to crack down on this. I mean, this guy's converting way too many people. Yeah. So he rounded up Paul, Miki, and a bunch of the other missionaries that were working with him. And they said, well, we're going to make an example out of these guys. We're going to crucify them. Mm. So they literally erected some crosses and, you know, hung them on the crosses. But before they, they executed them, Paul's like, I want to say one last thing. And he um, preached kind of a sermon from the cross. And just to read a little bit of what he said, he said he was accused of, of coming from another country to corrupt the Japanese people because yeah. um, their religion was so tied up with their ethnicity. And he said, the sentence of judgment says these men came to Japan from the Philippines, but I did not come from any other country. I am a true Japanese. The only reason for my being killed is that I have taught the doctrine of Christ. I certainly did teach the doctrine of Christ. I thank God for it is this reason that I die. I believe that I am telling only the truth before I die. I know you believe me and want to say to you all once again, ask Christ to help you become happy. I obey Christ. After Christ's example, I forgive my persecutors and I do not hate them. I ask God to have pity on all and my blood will fall as a seed on the soil. And he was eventually executed, but he forgave his persecutors before he was executed. And then Christianity seemingly disappeared from Japan. And everyone yeah. thought, Christianity's dead, we, we eradicated it. And later on, centuries later, when Christian missionaries came back to Japan, they thought that Christianity had been wiped out. Well, then they found out that in, there were actually tens of thousands of Christians that had gone underground in Japan. And so that martyrdom actually was not fruitless. There were actually many, many Christians in Japan, even though they had had to practice their faith secretly to avoid execution. Um, they had figured out a way to do that. And so the missionaries thought when they came back that there was no Christians left and there was actually thousands of them. So his his martyrdom actually did plant seeds that bore fruit centuries later. So. Amen. It's just powerful. And what an amazing man. And it's a, it's a modern, um, well, not modern, 15, uh, 15, 16th century, but um, St. Stephen, right? Uh, yes. the, the first martyr uh, that we have in scripture. And and we see that in, in St. Paul Miki, right? Just this this willingness, I mean, and, and going back to, well, we've chosen a lot of martyrs. I mean, it wasn't really intentional, but um, but all of these people just died with a certain zeal and a certain joy. joy yeah. I mean, it's it's just incredible and a willingness. And, and we have to reflect on ourselves. Now, I, I encourage our listeners, right, if you start going down that road and and you start thinking less of yourself and everything like that, to, to pass yourself over to the Holy Spirit and just say, that you know, Holy Spirit... Just pray that you ever put me in a situation like this, that you give me the inspiration and the courage to do what's necessary. And, and then and stop, you know, f- fatting about it or fettering about it or worrying about it. But, um, but man, what an example that we have with men like him yes. of what's possible yeah. without fear because you know the truth. And it makes me think of all these St. Polycarp or St. Ignatius of Antioch and these different, you know, yeah. martyrdom stories and, and when they're there, just trusting in the Lord. And so that's so yeah. beautiful. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we see that in the very beginning of the yeah. church all the way to modern times. Yeah. You know? And uh, the martyrs are always uh, what fuels the church in its growth. Yeah. Um, it's that sacrificial love. So, Agreed. Um, 
So yeah, yeah. A, couple, a couple more. We're almost done. We've got a couple more <laughs> yeah. to talk about, and then we'll. Yeah, like we it. said, there's thousands that we could talk about, and we had to narrow it down. And this was a narrowing of a narrowing. So um, that said, so the last one that I want to talk about is uh, Saint John Chrysostom, right? So Saint John Chrysostom, an early church father, doctor of the church, uh, just an amazing, amazing man. Uh, also called the Golden Mouth. Uh, yes. Chrysostom, right? Because I think it was St. John of Antioch is is also, you know, where he was from. And and so, but we know him as St. John Chrysostom, which Chrysostom means golden-mouthed or golden-tongued because of how incredible he was at speaking. And so we have today from St. John Chrysostom 700 homilies, 250 um uh, writings, um, uh, you know, and, and conversations of fighting different heresies and things like that. Multiple explanations on uh, the gospel accounts or, or different books of the New Testament. And so, I mean, he's just prolific writer uh, that we have in St. John Chrysostom. He likewise, going back to uh, St. Athanasius, he was fighting heresies. He was exiled multiple times. There's also this connection back then is when they were exiled, they saw it as an opportunity to become a hermit, to live a life, and St. John did that. He, um, he became a hermit for a number of years. He learned to um, you know, understand the, the sound of a whisper, right, with, with God, and, and as, he, as he was able to um, uh, pray, but he always returned. St. John also spoke out publicly against uh, political figures of his time that were living very impure and immodest and, um, you know, sinful lifestyles, including an empress. And when that happened, he was immediately exiled or else he was going to be killed. And, um, but we have this writing and I know I've heard statements of, you know, because of St. John Christosom's writings, you know, f uh, still f today flash across the world like lightning bolts. And yeah. so, we still, we still have that. But one of the big things, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but one of the big things with St. John uh, Chrysostom, as we see with these others, is his unity with his um, physical growth, his intellectual growth, and his um, spiritual growth. And uh, that, that he didn't uh, focus on one at the sake of the others, but he saw that nature that needed to be unified within man. And it comes out in his writings how we have to take care of our body. We have to take care of what we eat. We have to take care of, you know, um, our physical activity um, because of, you know, various reasons that he goes through. Uh, we have to take care of our intellectual growth and our, and he would find time. But we also need to become a hermit if God inspires us, right? <laughs> to, to learn to pray and unite ourselves to Him. So, you know, dive into the, you know, the golden tongue of, of St. John Chrysostom. Uh, just grab a homily. It'll take you 10 minutes, 15 minutes to read through. Um, and there's 700 of them. I know you can see a lot of them at newadvent.org, and, and there's other places online that you can find those. So. And I'll also say about him, he has some of the most beautiful sermons on marriage yeah. and family life that I've ever, I mean, they're incredible. Um, you know, it's, uh, so and he's kind of a romantic at heart. Yeah. So, even though he was a celibate. <laughs> um, but uh, we want to end with uh, my personal favorite on this list, and that's St. Moses the Black, also known as St. Moses the Strong. <laughs> um, he was, he was, uh, had quite a crazy life yeah. before uh, his conversion to Christianity. Um, 
First of all, he was a slave, um, a Roman in, in kind of the Roman Empire, um, but was was actually kicked out because he was accused of murder. Mm. Um, and then after that, he really kind of went nuts and he roved the Nile Valley, marauding and robbing and killing people, and was really just quite a thug. You yeah. know, he's just not a very nice guy. Yeah. Um, and then he joined a band of of, of other violent criminals and they just kind of tore up the countryside robbing and and um doing doing what criminals do i guess um what you do back in the third century i don't know but (laughs) but uh, it was not good stuff i'll show you that um but while one time um he was he swam across a river uh to wreak vengeance on somebody who had interrupted one of his robberies one time and he was he was very angry about this so he was gonna make this guy pay um, and he was just about to uh, kill this guy when the authorities showed up and were going to arrest him. Mm. Uh, well, he got out of there and ran off into the desert. And in the desert, he encountered a community, an early community of hermit monks. <laughs> um, and he hid out with them and said, hey, can I stay with you guys for a little while? Um, you know, I don't know if he told him he was on the run or not, but he ended up hiding with these hermits. And he was so blown away by their peaceful, contemplative life, that he had a profound conversion. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a Christian. So they baptized him. They he joined them as a fellow hermit. Um it was not easy for him though to kind of forget his old ways at times, uh learning this this new way of life. So he was actually attacked in his hermit cave, the story is told, um, by some robbers. uh, Kind of uh, ironic. How the times Um, have changed. But he was so physically powerful and huge that he subdued all the robbers. (laughs) And he dragged them all to the chapel where the other monks were praying. He was like, I no longer believe that it's right to do harm to these men as, as a Christian. <laughs> it's like, what, do you, what should I do with them? And all the other monks, you know, helped him out, and they ended up, um, you know, uh, dealing with the criminals in a Christian manner. Um, yeah. But it's kind of amusing. Like, I can just picture him, like, knocking all these guys out and dragging them to the chapel. Um, but he was, he was that physically powerful, and, and throughout his life he was known wow. for his huge size and strength. Um, but he, he learned a new kind of gentleness as a Christian. Another example kind of told of his life that I really love is that throughout his life, after his conversion, it pained him to be critical or judgmental of anybody. Mm. Um, and one time, one of the brothers in, the, in kind of that early uh, monastic community had sinned in some way, and all the other monks had gathered together to figure out a suitable penance for... Um, this brother and Moses refused to, refused to go and they said no you're part of this community you're going to come so he brought he went but he had like a jug of water over his shoulder with a hole in it and it was leaking water out and they said what what's with the jug you know yeah. and he said my sins are running out behind me and I'm here to judge my brother uh-huh. and it was just kind of his humility his profound uh-huh. humility he's like I'm such a sinner how could I possibly you know, pass judgment on a brother of mine. Um, and at that point, they all forgave the other brother. Wow. Um, and it just shows that radical forgiveness that he he experienced radical forgiveness himself. And ever since then, there's no way he could condemn anyone else. Um, yeah. But again, known for his, you know, size and strength, 
his, his former kind of violent way of life, but then had this profound conversion to Christ. So great. And and God calls all men, right? And we've yeah. had an episode on that. We had an episode with Boss Rutten. You know, we've, we've had episodes with... Uh, um, uh, CFR and, and Dominicans and different different priests and different men of every walk of life. And yeah. this is just a, a great example to, to round out um, our saint story. So, um, you know, there's like a thousand more that we could talk about and that we want to talk about maybe on other episodes, but hopefully, you know, some of these uh, saints have given inspiration to our listeners. Yeah. So, um, but time for a nightcap, huh? That's right. So yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up with a nightcap. Yeah. Uh, speaking of caps, I want <laughs> to show off uh, a hat. Uh, that yeah. is a great nightcap. Every man should have at least one good hat in his, his arsenal. Um, this is the Catholic Gentleman hat, which you can get on our store. But it doesn't have to be this one, although this is a great stylish choice. Yeah, uh, agreed. For any man. But, um, but I also have at home like a dress hat that I yeah. wear a mask sometimes. Uh, so... Yeah, there's a, there's a long, great tradition of hats, you know, in, in um, hundreds and hundreds of years. And um, some of the more um, dress hats, stuff like that have kind of fallen out of style. We, um, we appreciate them. Uh, this hat is great. The Catholic Gentleman logo is so intricate, so we tried embroidery and that didn't work. And so we have this great leather patch, which is also something that we love is leather. So yes, yes. I encourage you to check it out. Yeah, hats are practical. They protect you from the elements, shield you, know, shield you from the sun, yeah. but also they look cool. They do. Yeah. They look great. So thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're here. And as we end all of our episodes, be a man, be a saint. <laughs>